Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. I invite you to rise as we listen to the Word of God. As we listen, may we also hear. The Scripture comes from Genesis 17, verses 1 through 17, and then also verses 15 through 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout all generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And continuing in verse 15, God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Can Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Ask those who are able to please stand for our second lesson. Comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, picking up in chapter 8 at verse 9. Listen now to the word of God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with them, so that we may also be glorified with them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I remember some years ago, maybe 20 years ago, getting to know another person, and we were making small talk, uh, finding some common interests, finding things that we liked, in, like I said, liked in common, and we quickly went to the topic of movies. And I mentioned, I know among my favorites, I'm sure I mentioned Gone with the Wind, I'm sure I mentioned Top Gun, and I probably also mentioned the Star Wars trilogy, the original, I would say the core trilogy, that middle three, uh, now that number seven has been produced, and other movies as well. And the other person said, well, I really like westerns, and mentioned some. And I said, well, I like westerns too. And I mentioned some for sure. I know I mentioned the movie Giant. And the other person said, with, with a smile, said, I don't really think you like westerns as much as you really like epics. All these movies that I had mentioned, a kind of a common thread in all of them, was that they were great epics. The more I thought about it, I thought, ah, that's true. I like an epic. An epic or a quest or an epic quest. Combination thereof. Pretty much it could be any kind of setting. It could be in the future. It could be a western. It could be whatever. As long as it's some sort of epic with some great quest. I like epics, and I think that's one reason I liked the story that we did about two years ago. It was, well, let's say, 31 weeks that we began in Genesis and went all the way through Revelation, where the Bible was divided into chapters, put in chronological order. Some portions were summarized, uh, that was in italics, and some portions of Scripture were put in there telling the story of God and God's relationship with people from creation all the way to consummation through the books. And I loved the sweeping story that it presented. There's a bit of an epic even in the Believe series that we are doing. That again is a 30-week piece. It begins 10 basic beliefs. So how do I think? 10 basic acts. What do I do? Ten basic characteristics. What do I be? How am I to be? What am I to become? Think, do, and be. And as I reviewed the chapter for this week, Identity in Christ, I was struck by that sweeping drama epic. Starting with Genesis, a section that we had today, on through other portions of Scripture, a bit of the New Testament that we did not read, but I will tell you later, as well as as part of Paul, deeply rooted in God's core relationship with his people 
all the way through, we see how our identity is based in Christ. The story that was set up to set us off is of Abraham and Sarah. Several chapters before, Abraham had been called to leave his world. He lived in modern-day Iraq, the Fertile Crescent. His father had taken the family from Ur, which was um, London, Paris, New York, L.A., Hong Kong, all rolled into one, upriver, still in that basic civilization, but um, out to, and more than just the burbs, uh, maybe uh, New York to Chicago kind of transfer, but still in his area. And then Abram had been given the call, I will be your God, you will be my people, to go to the promised land. And part of this promise that there will be a child. Now earlier, again, he and his wife were of great age, not able to have a child. And under the customs of the day, and this was perfectly legal, her handmaid could be a substitute, a surrogate, and a child could be had, and Sarah got credit for the child, and that would be the heir, and that is Ishmael. But no, the Lord says, no, no. Lord God says, no, there's to be, you two are to have a child. And um, Abraham even appeals to Ishmael and says, don't worry, I got a place for him too. He'll be the father of many nations himself. But no, there's a special child, and that will be of the two of you. And their names are changed to show the deepening of this covenant and the change in that relationship. Their identity is changed. Their names are changed. Think of the names yourself that you have seen, names that change. One's, one I mentioned at Sunday school, that obvious about covenant and change, name, change of names. Covenant of marriage, a last name is changed. Um, often cases the lady will take the, the gentleman's last name. Not always these days, but that is one. And the guy goes from being single guy to married man. Okay, an identity change there. I remember being up in Allegheny County, North Carolina. It's right up in the northwest. It's the uh, ancestral county of the Daltons. So a big extended gathering. And I would say 90% of the people there did not really know me. They remembered my father as a young boy. And so I would introduce myself. I would simply say, I am Rass's boy. That connects me to this family. That connects me to the story. And my mother gently said, no, you're Rass's son. You're an adult. You're not a little boy. That small name change and identity change, not the little boy. I still think of myself as Rass's boy. But anyway, to see it, though, as a son. That was in the back of my mind a few years ago when I guest preached in Thomasville, um, First Presbyterian Thomasville, Georgia. And speaking to one of the members of the congregation afterwards, and long story short, found out she'd gone to Queens College, said, what year were you there? She mentioned the year that my mother graduated. So I said, well, I'm Leela Bennett's son. Remembering my mother's words, I can't say I'm her boy. <laughs> um, but identified through the name of Bennett, my mother's maiden name, immediately connected with the lady. I mean, she had that look of surprise. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, X number of years later. 
Think of different uh, names you might give to, uh, to people in your world. Uh, the college buddy or the childhood friend, that's an identity and generally means that person knows far too much about me uh, to be told in public television, anything like that. They're the names that we carry um, based on, I mean, ethnicity and race, but also where you went to high school, from what side of town, uh, side of the tracks you grew up. It could be um, where you went to school. Uh, the identity of Carolina man carries some weight, not in this state, uh, but in North Carolina it does. They are given a new name to represent their new identities with God that new position. The story then sweeps many centuries later to the time of Paul writing to the Romans. That was our second letter. And he's talking to them about what it meant to be in Jesus Christ. And some language that he uses is that of adoption and, about, of, of, and of that legal status change. Now, adoption was practiced in the Roman world, but really no one adopted children. They had the issue of infant mortality. Adoption occurred actually, and there, while a few cases for women, primarily it was men who were adopted as grown men, maybe even in their 30s and 40s would be adopted, taken into another family to be the heir or co-heir to a fortune. Emperors would adopt they would name their successor and make that successor um, his son. So in that sense, they did, the title did pass father to son. And when one was adopted, one took on that new identity, no matter how many decades had been spent in a previous family. The emotional ties were there. They could remain. But legally, that person became a new person. If you had any credit card debt under your old identity... You're adopted, don't worry about it anymore. You cannot be held accountable to it. You've legally become a new person. That old debt is, is taken away from you. Of course, if your adopted father has any debt, now you're legally responsible for that if the father defaults. They had become, and that made sense to the people when you say we're adopted. Okay, that's what it means. Adopted, you took on the status of the family that adopted you. If you're a plebeian, a citizen, but a commoner, and you are adopted by a patrician family, you become a patrician. You have their status completely, as if you had been born into the house. And with that kind of relationship, not only legally you're a new person, but also is one of great intimacy the Aramaic word Abba is kept in our, scripture, in our scripture. It is daddy. It is the most intimate term of relationship between parent and child, uh, bigger than even dad. Um, it, it means there's a great tenderness to it, a great connection, and one to whom you can say anything and tell anything. That kind of relationship Years ago, I was um, with this fellow from Montana for several months, and uh, I would talk about my daddy. My daddy said this, or daddy always says this. 
therefore it must be true. But anyway, he kept saying, why do you keep calling him daddy? You know, you're of a certain age. I guess in Montana, you change the title. But I said, no, no, no. He'll always be my daddy. Always have that relationship. Now, a way this makes the impact, this is the story that we did not read, but I'm going to tell you. It's in the scripture. For some of you, it's a very familiar story of Zacchaeus and the impact of the new identity in his life. Now, some of you already know about Zacchaeus, but just in case, to do the review, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. In the Roman Empire, they need money to run, and so certain things were to be taxed. And um, they would farm out the job to locals to collect the taxes. We want this amount of money from this area. These are the things that can be taxed. Go to it. The sorts, even though we complain today about our own taxation system, they would be pea green with envy. The people in Jerusalem and Jericho, if they saw how structured and how ultimately fair our system is, the tax collector told you what you owed, and he had backup to make it happen. Now, Zacchaeus is a Jew. Many would have thought he had turned his back on his own people by becoming a tax collector, by cooperating with the enemy. He has betrayed his culture. He's betrayed our core values. He has done this. He is oppressing people. He is oppressing the poor. He's the kind of guy that both Fox News and MSNBC would trash. You can imagine that. For different reasons, both would go after him. He would have had, and other tax collectors, they would have had the best houses and the flashiest cars. If you're a faithful Jew and you want to kind of throw off at him, you could always say, well, how does it feel to be nouveau riche? And his response could be, it's the riche that counts, and I've got it. He is hated, he is despised, and he is considered a sinner. Now we think of Jesus, and he did hang out with um, the lowly, those who had had moral failings, uh, those the sinners in that sense, and he hung out with those who were poor, just not well off. But here's a case where we're going to see him heading to the other side, somebody who is, is rich and powerful and has authority of sorts, but is an outcast in the other direction and ritually not clean. And somebody that a faithful Jew who might be poor could say, but at least I'm not tax collector trash. Jesus is going to reach out to him. As the story goes, and some of us remember the story from vacation Bible school and Sunday school, that Zacchaeus is a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Of course, at that point, you're also supposed to do the motions, you know, climbing the sycamore tree, going up. So maybe even Zacchaeus had a Napoleon complex. I don't know. But anyway, he wants to see Jesus. And of course, nobody's going to give him any space on the road to see him. And he's short, and so up the tree he goes, and Jesus calls out to him and says, I'm going to your house today. Right in front of everybody, 
He says, I'm going to your house. I'm going to have table fellowship with you. That's important in our culture, maybe even more important in those Mediterranean cultures. I'm willing to break bread with you. A modern-day story goes that uh, when when there have been these times of negotiations between Palestinians and Jews and they're at a table together, and water is provided, and that's okay. And apparently at one point, cements were put out, and both the, the, the Jews and the Arabs were like, no, 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 mints, that's like food, and that's like being at table together for fellowship, and we're, we're not being, actually being as hateful as much as we're being realistic. We're not at peace with one another. It would be inappropriate for us to, have, you know, to do that at this table. So no mints, just water. Table fellowship meant even more in that society. And Jesus is going to his house to have dinner, and he's announced it to the whole world. Zacchaeus is given a new identity as he encounters Christ, and he is so moved, he is going to give money back to the poor, and give money to the poor and give back to those of whom he has taken advantage. And Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. I'm sure he got called son of something else, but he's been called here a son of Abraham. The new identity had changed everything. This week in the story, and we covered this in Sunday school as well, we talked about the identity in Christ. And in the book that followed, we were given some declarations and application points, and I want to walk through those with you. And if you're a note-taker, this is kind of a good thing to take notes about. And first, the declaration, I believe that God loves me, and therefore my life has value. Think about it. We assign value I mean, when we pay for something, we assign that value. Typically we do, even though we like to get things on sale. An old story goes of um, this Polynesian culture, or in the South Pacific at least, uh, there was a Westerner who was there and it was an observer. And in this culture, the, the groom paid for the bride. He gave the bride price. It wasn't the dowry, in that case where you marry my daughter, here's some money or here's some cattle or whatever. In this case, the gentleman paid for the bride. And I remember seeing this shown as a movie uh, to a sort of inspirational movie that uh, there was this young woman who was considered very plain and homely in her people. She did not think well of herself and, and kind of held herself down and low and away. As a young child, she had been very happy and outgoing, but um, over time, life had kind of beaten her down. And this fellow that had known her since childhood, he had made a great fortune, had come back to marry her. The father is happy that he's going to be able to unload the daughter, so to speak. And your friends are saying, whatever he offers, take it the first time. And as they're gathering, uh, there's, a, there's a big community thing to watch. And there's a group of wives and one is saying, well, my husband paid three cows for me. And the other one goes, well, my husband paid four cows for me. Well, the negotiations begin, and the father asks for one cow. 
And the man said, well, that is a very great price. But for someone like your daughter, she is worth six cows. Of course, it's acted very well, and the father kind of just like stares there for a moment, and the friend's kind of like pushing the thing, say yes, say yes, you know, take the money and run. And he agrees. And the wedding takes place, and they go off on the honeymoon. This Western observer's been watching all of this, and some months later, he calls on them once the couple have come back. And this beautiful, vibrant young woman answers the door and greets him. And he realizes this is the same one that was before. And the man explains, I've knew her as a child. I have loved her since she was a child. But she did not think anyone loved her. And I had to show her that she was loved and that she was worthy. In that society, she would now always would have the status of a six-cow wife. Now, much of that story is touching, and some of it does go against our sensibilities today. I'll, I'll admit that. But I thought about that, and remember, God loves us and was willing, through God the Son, was willing to die for us, that our life has value because it was worth the blood of Jesus Christ. So we can believe that God loves me, therefore my life has value. And I believe that I exist to know, love, and serve God. That we are freed to do so, not to earn anything, because we've already been bought with a price, but in a response to what God has done for us. I believe that God loves me even when I do not obey Him, because I believe I am forgiven and accepted by God. Our past stuff cannot... We need to be forgiven, and we can be forgiven, but it does not keep us away. Four declarations and then four applications. Number one, I am free from condemnation. I no longer have to earn my relationship with God. My acceptance is not based on my behavior. I've shared in several settings that for years, I, I had, as a child, I had a kind of a checking account view of Christianity. All the good things I did, that was a deposit. All the bad things I did, that was with a, with a withdrawal. And the goal was, at the end of the day, to make sure I had a positive balance. You definitely don't want to die with a negative balance, okay? Then you're really in trouble. And even thinking, you know, one time I had been mean to my sister, if you can imagine that, but, you know, let your imagination play with that. Thinking, okay, now literally I thought the next day, I think, okay, it's Sunday, I'll put an extra five in the plate. I think that will cover what I did to my sister, okay? I think we're even now. That's not the way it operates. I'm not expecting the $5 back, but anyway, that's not the way that it operates. I no longer have to earn my relationship. Number two, my worth comes from my position in Christ, not my performance. And the ways that I serve and do are a response to what God has done for me, not a means of earning God's favor. The, the hours that we serve, or the ways that we serve, it should be a response to what God has done for us, not a means of earning His favor. 
I live to express who I am in Christ already, not to prove who I am. We all know the people, we have seen them out there who they've just got something to prove. And maybe you've been that person. And number four, I can focus on building others up, not tearing them down. Not to get caught up in the comparison trap. And how often have we seen it? How often have we even participated in it of tearing down the other person just to feel good about ourselves? To parade out all their faults and to parade all of our accomplishments just to say, look, I must be worth something. We are part of a great epic, a great story, God's relationship with God's people, beginning in the mists of time, continuing through Genesis and Exodus, and yes, even Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and all through the Scriptures, into the time of Christ and the time that follows with the church as it began and spread And in the centuries that followed, there are many chapters and paragraphs along the way, and each of us have our time on the stage. We are part of that great story. For those who belong to Christ are children of God. And because of that, we can believe that we are forgiven and accepted by God in Jesus Christ. And we can believe that God loves us even when we do not obey Him. We can believe that we exist to know, love, and serve God. And we can believe that God loves us and therefore our lives have value. Thanks be to God.